Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 26 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me a beautiful butterfly named Brenna. And yes, I I realize that's a lot of alliteration, but I just couldn't help myself. Um, I had the privilege of getting to meet her face-to-face a couple of weekends ago at our second annual Flying Free Retreat with about 50 other beautiful butterflies. And when we got home from that retreat, we started, we wanted to be able to connect and continue building those relationships. So we started a new Facebook group. And inside of that Facebook group, Brenna shared a poem that she had written about what it's like to live with covert or hidden psychological abuse that, you know, that nobody else can see on the outside. And it was so, all of us were just flabbergasted. And I asked her if she would be willing to share her poem with you guys, because it's so, so good. And also I wanted to hear her read it again. Um, so, <laughs> so Brenna graciously agreed to do that. And also to just sit and talk with me a little bit about what it's like to live with covert abuse and maybe some of the, you know, how she figured out that that's what she was dealing with and some of the steps that she's, you know, what, what she's doing today now with that understanding and information that she is realizing has happened in her life. So welcome, Brenna. Thank you, Natalie. I'm super (laughs) excited to be here with you and very honored. So I think we'll start with, we'll start with your poem. And then when we're done with that and uh, people have blown their noses and (laughs) recovered, (laughs) we'll, we'll talk about what that poem actually means. Okay. That sounds good. Um, okay. So I, I just have a very simple title for this. I just called it hurt. Um, right after I moved out, I sat down and wrote this, um, and I didn't share it with anyone until the retreat. I actually read this to uh, my roommates at the retreat who I have gotten to know through flying free. Um, they're some of my very good friends and, uh, um, they encouraged me to share it. So I did. And that led me here. And here we go. (laughs) Awesome. I think I might be going crazy. I never was before, but now I am. I think something is wrong and that something must be me. I must be going crazy because there's nothing black and white for me to rest my finger on. Nothing cut and dry that will explain my sense of dread. Instead, there's just a litany of good that I have memorized. He's always bought amazing gifts, remembered my favorite drinks, made sure there was plenty in the bank, which he never kept from me, never cheated on me, never screamed in my face. But yet, I think something is wrong. I must be going crazy. After all, it's not like he's ever really hurt me. I can't quite wrap my heart around the shock, the searing pain of hearing those cruel words about my body. I can't quite grasp how to respond when he turns away with sorrow in his eyes for himself to be stuck with a wife as ugly as me. For a second, I am angry that he can grieve for himself and then go to sleep while I am left in the dark, shattered. But I realize he just hates himself for hating me. It's not his fault I gained those pounds. A size eight is far larger than the four he married. So I comfort him until he falls asleep and try to silence my heart's screaming. 
I catch sight of myself in the mirror, and now I understand his pain. I see it too, how awful I am. He's right, just trying to help. So why can't I shake this unending pain? I think I'm too sensitive, or maybe going crazy. After all, it's not like he's ever really hurt me. He tells me with tears in his eyes that he uses videos of other women to make up for what I lack. He's so sad, so grieved about his failure. There's no allowance for me to be angry. I must offer grace and forgiveness, so I do, at each new confession, each new failure, year after year. But his words ring in my ears, the comments about my weight, my size, my looks. They cut like a knife, his eyes above me looking down, disgust pouring out. My body lying there exposed, examined, found wanting, disappointing, discarded. But later the cruelty taken back, never meant should be forgotten. Promises made, promises broken, a cycle repeating. If only I could be better, if only my skin could bring him joy instead of pain. I cringe at every glance, cover up, switch to the guest bathroom so I don't have to wonder if his gaze will hold desire, indif indifference, or disgust. I hide myself, I hate myself, I think I'm going crazy. After all, it's not like he's ever really hurt me. I do my best to be the best, to, to be no, what he knows he deserves. After all, he is better than me. Add life, add looks, add knowing me. I cook but make a simple mistake, and now he won't look at me, won't speak to me. I wander, wander around, anxiety pulsing in my veins, trying to figure out the best way to be the best wife, to stay quiet or try to talk, to walk away or stay near. The minefield I tried to avoid has exploded. The eggshells I so carefully tread across are slicing my feet, but he tells me he never wanted me to walk across them. He never asked that of me, so I wonder why I am. I think I might be going crazy. After all, it's not like he's ever really hurt me. We have fun together, laugh and talk, go out with family into our friends' homes. But then I catch that tightening around his lips, the way they get a bit taut and white around the edges, and, and suddenly I am on edge. I cannot think clearly. I must have said something stupid, or my double chin is showing, or this shirt is too tight, or this dress is all wrong. I should have remembered that swimsuits are a no-win option. I cannot relax. I can no longer have fun. My legs begin to begin to bounce, and I pull my shirt to loosen it and silence my laugh and my voice in case they're the problem. Because if I don't, then I'll be ignored, not touched, not loved, a disappointment not even worthy of a goodnight kiss. But why is my heart racing over a simple tightened lip, just a shade wider around the edges? No one else would even notice. I think I might be going crazy. After all, it's not like he's ever really hurt me. My breath comes faster and my heart beats quicker as I listen to him cry and pour out his heart about how much it hurts him that I am this way, that I do not match the hope in his mind, the expectations he knows I can meet if I would stop being lazy and just try. My nails press into my arms deeper and harder, cutting skin but grounding my mind. I must stay focused. I must not become emotional. I must not be hard-hearted. I must face my own shortcomings with humility. I must care for him. I must not be angry. So my arms are dotted with crescent moons that won't fade away. Permanent reminders of how I am going crazy. After all, it's not like he's ever really hurt me. He works so hard he needed that pillow. I was trying to be strong for myself, but strength doesn't seem to work out in my favor. I gave it to him, but it wasn't enough. I tried to cuddle up to make the tension go away, but I should have known he needs space when he's, when he's angry. I thought he said before that he likes to be comforted when he's angry, but I must have been confused. And now that soft touch has been used against me, his arms, once so trusted around me, locked down. 
squeezing. I think I must have exaggerated. It, it wasn't really that bad, but it hurts to take a, a deep breath. It hurts to turn or lift or bend. Not terribly, though, and he is sorry, terribly sorry. He truly just didn't know he had the strength to hurt. He asks me to forgive him, demands that I forgive him. I cannot bring myself to say the words, and so I am branded an unforgiving wife who does not love him, at least not as much as he loves me. But I have always forgiven, and I have always loved, and I have tried so hard, and it doesn't seem to be enough. I think I'm going crazy. After all, he's just barely hurt me. I don't want a tight hug. Last time that brought pain, I'm learning about boundaries, so I simply say no thank you. But he doesn't like that answer. His body doesn't match his face. His smile is genuine and kind. His voice hurt and confused. His body tall and overpowering. Step after step, walking into my space wondering, asking, kind and curious. Why don't I want his hug? Why do I seem scared? What has he done to deserve that? My voice still speaks. No, thank you. Please listen. But it's shaking. My hands outstretched, trying to hold my ground, but they're shaking. My back reaches the counter and suddenly his face matches his body. He is furious, but calm, demanding to know why I've pushed him across the kitchen. Why my shaking hands hit him in the chest. Wait, I'm so confused. What just happened? I don't understand. I think I'm going crazy. Really, truly crazy. Something is wrong, but he stands by his version. Maybe mine is wrong. Maybe both are right. Perception is reality. That's what they say. I have mine and he has his. God, it doesn't make sense. I think I'm going crazy. After all, he's just barely hurt me. The crescents on my arms grow deeper, and I know what the carpet covered in old dust at the back of the closet under the clothes smells like. It's a place I can escape and breathe. I think I'm going crazy. I plead my case to him, and the nearest glass meets its fate, splintering crash against the wall. I plead my case to him, and the corner of my cake is smashed. My birthday night is ruined. I plead my case to him, and he's sobbing on the floor while I am standing numb, not knowing what to do anymore. I think I'm going crazy. He is sorry. I have to believe him. This is hurting him. I am hurting him. I think I'm going crazy. I have forgotten how to breathe. I go to a doctor and then another. I try a medication and then another. I cannot sleep. I cannot breathe. My heart will not slow down. My hands shake and fidget. My eyes dart and jump. My mind cannot find paths to solutions that work. I don't know what to do. I want to just run out of my skin, but I don't know how. If I did, I would have done it long ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, last year, I don't know. Good and bad tangled together, a sinister twister of confusion and pain, leaving nothing but chaos in my brain. So much good and, and so little bad, really, right? Always an apology, a reason, and it doesn't make sense. I am going crazy. After all, he's just barely hurt me. I try to tell him I'm hurting, but I only wound him in the process. I reach out to comfort his sobs, but he shies away, not wanting my touch, because he can't see that I still love him. I am so confused. I thought we were talking about my pain, but now I'm just causing him more pain. I start to imagine what it would be like to fade into the black, to fall into the sleep that comforts and heals and stay there. <clears throat> But it doesn't make any sense to feel that way. There's no logical reason. I think I'm going crazy. After all, he's just barely hurt me. With tears in his eyes and grief in his voice, he confesses to me that he doesn't like who I've become. He thinks our decade together should have been his only friends. I have hurt him too deeply for him to see a way forward. Before I left, I filled up the fridge so that maybe he wouldn't hate me. I hung new pictures on the walls and scrubbed the toilets so that maybe he would see that I still cared. I didn't want to walk away. I'm not sure even now I did the right thing. I broke his heart, but mine was already broken, damaged, so it's beyond that now. It's crushed, over overwhelmed, barely alive. 
He returned our home, his home, with our dog and our beautiful yard and our comfortably warm bed, but he did not see that I cared. He did not see that I tried. He simply saw that I left. He never meant what he said about being friends. I should have known that. I should just come home. I have hurt him so deeply. I should just come home. I have been unforgiving and imperfect too. I should just come home. I've misunderstood and misjudged. I should just come home. I've been led astray and misguided. I should just come home. I want to go home, but I cannot go home. I'm hurting so badly, ripped and destroyed, damaged to what feels beyond all hope of repair. I'm sure that I'm crazy. But as I sit on my bed in my sparse new apartment, looking around at the shards of my life that are left, shaking, numb, my phone lighting up from text after text, begging and accusing in turn, deepening the agony, I glance at my arms, bit my nails onto the reminders of life before medication. Remind, remind myself to take my pills that somehow now I cannot function well without. Try to sort through the fog and wonder how I got here. And for just a second, half a second, I wonder if maybe, just maybe, I'm not crazy. I wonder if maybe, maybe he has hurt me. If maybe, sometimes, this is what hurt looks like. Wow. I just... <laughs> Uh, that's the second time I've listened to it, and it's absolutely phenomenal. It really is. You have captured. You have captured the essence of what this is like. In, that poem is absolutely beautiful, and painful, and profound. Thank you. And yes, very painful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that. Um, Gosh, how do you even follow up from that? I think there are many, many, many listeners out there right now who are staring out into space thinking, this is, this is my life. This is, and now, now what am I, it's, it's, I remember that moment. It wasn't a poem for me. It was doing a search online, but I remember that moment where and the truth hit me and it was like, it, it was literally like a physical punch in the gut. And, and then I, because the next step then is, okay, what am I going to do about this now? Right. I mean, it's just, it, it just immediately goes into, if this is really true, now, now what do I do? So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you when you first realized this was actually that you weren't actually going crazy (laughs) (laughs) and that maybe you were just living with crazy. Well, I will tell you that that definitely is a cycle for me. You know, I, I, I have those realizations and then it kind of circles back to like, maybe I am crazy. And then I come back to no, 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 I'm not. And then maybe I am. But um, as time goes on, the I'm not crazy gets a little stronger and it, you know, it's, it's two steps forward and one step back sometimes, but, but it's still progress. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But the way that it really started for me, um, oh man. So I, I have now been married 10 years. Um, I am still married, but I'm separated. Um, And uh, about two and a half years ago, I had a friend who killed himself. Um, and the surface level reason for that was he was with a girl 
that could not make up her mind if she loved him or not. And so um, according to some of our mutual friends, he would find himself um, on his knees begging her to say that he, that he loved her or that she loved him. Sorry. Um, and I thought, man, anybody would have told him this is a messed up situation. And then I remembered nights where I sat on the edge of my bed sobbing and asking my husband to please, can, can you even say you love me? And he would just go to sleep. And I thought if, if I would have told my friend that this is a messed up situation, why am I not telling myself this is a messed up situation? Uh, why, why am I, why am I doing this? Um, so I took about six months you know, nothing I think in, in these cycles is ever very quick, <laughs> at least not in my experience. Um, I took about six months to kind of start processing that and trying to talk to him about, you know, things that I was not okay with. Um, and it, it didn't get any better. So in August of 2017, I really started searching for answers. Like I, Google was my new best friend. Um, and I, the, the biggest turning point for me was an article I found. Um, it's very hard to find. I've only, I've only found it a couple of times. It seems like it's been taken down off most places on the internet, but it was an article from 1998 called the silent killer of Christian marriages by Amy Wildman white. Um, and it talks about emotional abuse and, and how, she identifies this husband who um, is a good a good father, never had problems with alcohol and drugs. I was a good provider, never harmed her physically, but yet there's still something very wrong. Um, and honestly, Natalie, the the part that stood out to me the most, the part that caught my attention, was this one short paragraph that just said. The wife in this in these situations experiences intercourse as an indignity, almost as rape, because the physical and the deeply personal loving aspects have been torn asunder. Mm -hmm. Intimacy and trust, which lay the necessary foundation for a woman to respond sexually, have been removed from the relationship. And I just thought, oh my God, yes! Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've never actually had somebody put words to that. Um, that, and so the rest of that article goes on to explain emotional abuse. Um, and they didn't really talk much about narcissism and things like that, or much less multiple types like covert narcissism in 1998. Mm -hmm. But um, this woman framed emotional abuse as, as bad and bad enough to, to be worthy of splitting up a marriage over. Um, and I just thought this is, this is like reading my life. Um, and that's kind of where, where my journey started in 2017 was this article. Wow. You know, we, we can put a link, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so that people can access that themselves. I, I, I've seen that article too. I don't know when, but I've read that. Like I, I know I've seen it at least twice. So maybe I even have it in my files because it was a PDF download, I think. Yeah, and I, I paid to download it, um, but I, I, everywhere I have found it, um, just like a personal note here, I used to be on a cry for justice and they took it down. It used to be on her website, safe place ministries, and they took it down. So I don't know. I have no idea. I had to pay for it off of Scribd or however you say that. Okay. Scribd. Um, 
I so I have the PDF, but I don't know where you can find it online anymore. Okay, I'll I'll do a search for it first of all, and then we'll um, and we'll go from there. Hopefully, we can okay. link people to it. I found it in 2017, but I can't find it now. So okay, okay. Um, well, and all of her information, how to contact her or where she, you know, her author information is all on there. So, yeah, that's true. Um, okay. So where are, where are things at for you now? What, what are you, what do you think? Um, (laughs) well, currently, uh, I am separated. Um, I, um, a couple of months ago, uh, my husband works out of state, I should say. So a couple months ago when he was home, he told me that he thought we should just be friends. I don't know how you tell your wife of 10 years that, but um, it was kind of the release I needed. And I had already been kind of working towards exiting the marriage anyway, but um, I took that as my cue. And the next time he left town for work, I moved out. Um, I told him that I was moving out. Um, I, so he didn't come home like totally shocked, but I think I was still, I think I still have a lot of, um, fog like that. I still have to fight through on a semi daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I have my own apartment. I have an attorney who is excellent. Um, oh, good. and that's, that's kind of where we're going from here. So have you filed? I yeah. haven't filed yet. Um, there's a couple of things I was waiting on logistically. And, um, I think for the sake of taking the moral high ground, maybe, uh, my husband is not like cut off finances and things like that. Um, which is a good thing because I have family living in a house that we jointly own. And so I'm trying to work through that, um, before I officially file, okay. uh, but I'm expecting to within the next month. Okay. Do you have kids? No, um, that's actually, that was actually a product of, of knowing something was wrong for a really long time. I, I love children. I've always, I've always desired to have a family. Um, but I kept telling myself, we can't have kids until my husband gets better. You know, he just needs to get better. Um, it could just, he just, if we just try a little harder or talk through it a little more then. uh, then things will get better. And, you know, 10 years later and they haven't, <laughs> and I don't have any children, but also um, I knew that I didn't want my sons to grow up with the same, the same mindset and the same kind of entitled narcissistic attitude. And I didn't want my daughters to be shamed or to feel like, like I did. And honestly, I was terrified that if I got pregnant, that I wouldn't be able to, to handle the comments about how my body would look after that. Mm. Um, I have been told a lot of really, really cruel things, always taken back, always said that he didn't mean it, but it's, um, those things stick with you. Um, and I just thought stretch marks and loose skin was, I, I didn't know if I could take it, honestly. Um, so sad. So that's, that's why I don't. <laughs> but you know, that's really, it, it's wise. I mean, I can't tell you how many women wish that they hadn't had children, you know, because that's probably one of the most painful aspects of getting out. If you have okay. kids is to, um, 
just the fallout with them. And then absolutely, watching, I, I'm yeah. a child of divorce too, and okay. and went through that. Yeah, it's excruciating, but yes. you know, and a, a lot of people too think that if they have a child, maybe that will help fix the problem. <laughs> no, like, I, I know. <laughs> no, that's. I mean, I know it's crazy, but you. We think crazy things, though. You know, we think well. You, you sort of start thinking irrational things because you're so desperate to like fix the problem and move on. So maybe if we have a family, then we'll look like a normal family or we'll be a normal couple. You know, it, not my, my like, grandmother actually suggested that to me. I yeah. When I, when I told her recently that that we were going to be separating, she was like, "Well, have you tried having like? Have you thought about having children with him? It might make oh things better." Gosh. Like, yeah. no, Grandma, <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> yep. That really is kind of an old-fashioned way of thinking, though, too. Because, you know, back in the day, well, you know, divorce wasn't as common back then. You would stay with your abusive spouse. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of, women just sort of thought that that was part of their lot in life, being a woman. And you should be just glad that you have someone who's, um, you know, that putting a roof over your head if they are being a good provider and um, just focus on your kids and focus on your life and just be make the best of it. And that stoic, you know, kind of attitude. And um, and then, of course, if you bring Christianity into it um, and some mm-hmm. of the twisted ways of looking at scripture and what scripture says about divorce, which it doesn't really say those things, but that's what we've been taught. And most people don't want to really research it out for themselves. So we just kind of buy into that also keeps us stuck. And we think that it's, we're being, you know, we're doing the, um, we're doing what God wants us to do by enabling that abuse to continue. So anyway, I'm really glad, I'm actually really relieved to hear that you don't have kids. And by the way, if you're listening, you can't see Brenna, but I just have to tell you, she is cute as a bug's ear. Okay. There's absolutely, (laughs) there's, thank you. Yeah. I, I love you to pieces. I think you're absolutely gorgeous. You're adorable. Um, I just, I, it breaks my heart to think that someone that's broken could have come into your life and just shattered your life that way for 10 years. And it is, I mean, I say this all the time and I'll say it again. Emotional psychological abuse is physical abuse. It's physical abuse. As you know, by looking at your arms, Yeah. you know, that, so, um, and you know, you can see that on your arms, but a lot of people, they do, uh, you know, some people cut, actually cut. I remember a time when I actually threatened my husband that I was going to start cutting notches in my thighs every time he did something mean to me so that I could keep track of it myself because there was nothing that I had to prove what he was doing. And he dismissed everything. So gas, a lot of gaslighting. No, that never happened. I never did that. I never said that. And so I thought, well, maybe if I put like a, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But I wanted proof. And then I was going to, I thought maybe then I could like go with my legs full of cuts and scars and then go to like an abuse place and just say, Hey, you know, look at what my husband's treating me. But Mm -hmm. um, someone talked me down. They said, Natalie, no, because he's going to, you know, he's going to say you're crazy. And then And they'll look at your legs and they might think you're crazy. And that's not crazy. That's actually a rational response to abuse. When you think about it, think about it. You know what's irrational response to abuse? Is denying and pretending that it's not there. 
That's irrational. When we pretend, well, I think it's Patrick Doyle who said denial is the is the root of all pathology. All psychological pathology is rooted in denial of some kind. So um, I haven't I haven't heard him say that, but I've listened to a lot of his stuff. I haven't heard that one, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> just in my my own life and some of the conversations I've had with other people, with myself, with my husband, you know, somebody's always denying something. And if it's, if it's not me, then it's him. And if it's not him, it's me. Right. Well, and when you think about what denial, yeah, exactly. So, so when you think about what denial is, it's basically, it's not acknowledging reality. Well, what's crazier than that? You know what I mean? <laughs> like not acknowledging that something's real. So when someone tells us something that's real to them and they say, you know, this really hurt when you said this to me, this really hurt. When we dismiss that and say, that's not, you know, I don't care about that experience. That's not true. I never did that. We are denying that they are a human being that has an, that had an experience with us. We're denying that mm-hmm. we, we're denying responsibility. So that's pathological. When, but when you are being abused like that and you are, you're, you are experiencing um, maybe an eating disorder or you're experiencing uh, mental trauma, you're experiencing depression, anxiety, panic attacks, um, heart palpitations, you're cutting, you're doing something, your body is reacting because uh, Bessel van der Kolk says that we, you know, he wrote that book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. We store trauma in our physical body. That is so our bodies are going to, it's going to come out in our body. That's why emotional abuse is physical abuse. They've done brain scans of people's brains after trauma and they, they're after long-term trauma, such as emotional abuse and their brains are, they are different. There's different, there's pathology there. There's problems in those brain scans because so the brain actually changes when you're being traumatized like that. So So anyways, my, my, my whole point then bringing back to the whole, the cutting thing or to the, you know, putting, pulling your hair out or sticking your fingernails into your arms. That is Uh that head banging reality of this is, this is something is so wrong and I can't fix it. Anybody put in those circumstances would do something Maybe it's not always the same thing, but we are going to do something with that trauma. And yeah. that is not the, the victim's fault that, that their body is reacting to the trauma. That's just a natural outcome of trauma. So when people, it really, really bothers me when other people come in and make judgments about victims and what they've gone through and how they react, or maybe they're super angry or whatever. It's like, come on, if you, <laughs> if you were living in that, you'd be doing the same thing. So let's not let's not judge what other, what is happening in the lives and bodies of other people who've been traumatized like that. It's very true. It's also hard to like, to rationalize that within yourself while you're still in it though, because it's very, it's, it makes you feel like, like, why am I doing this? This is, this is crazy. You know, (laughs) right? why would I, why am I, why am I curled up in a ball at the back of the closet under the clothes in the guest bedroom? Why, you know, do I have nail marks all over my nail or all over my arms? 
why am I doing this stuff? Uh, why am I suddenly needing to take anxiety medication? Yeah. Why do I have these panic attacks and I didn't have them before? And especially when you're first trying to get out of that, if hearing other people say that they went through that too, I think really helps. Um, and have hearing the rationale behind it because like I remember one time um, last summer I was sitting on the bed with my husband. He was crying and feeling really horrible for himself about how horrible I was. And I was trying to stay in the moment and stay grounded and stay focused in that conversation. And so without realizing it, I was digging my nails into my arms, just trying, just trying to, to stay okay. Um, And he, he glanced over at me and was like, that looks healthy. And I was like, uh, he's, he's right. This isn't healthy. What is wrong with me? You know? And it's just, it just adds another layer. Um, when I started taking medication, you know, then suddenly I was crazy and I was being fed pills by a pill mill doctor, you know? So for anybody listening, you're not crazy (laughs) (laughs) just because you have those, just like Natalie, just like Natalie is saying Right. That that really does affect our bodies. And even if the people around us don't understand their reasoning behind it, it doesn't make it wrong and doesn't make you crazy. Right. You're not so, gonna understand that if you haven't lived it. <laughs> exactly. So the first the first step, just for listeners, the first step to getting help for yourself and to the first step on the road to healing really is just waking up. Like acknowledging that, you know what, there really is something really wrong and it's not, it's not me. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not the problem here. And you're so used to hearing that from other people. It's very difficult to wrap your brain around the fact that it's not. Now, just because it's not you and it's not your fault, that doesn't mean that there's nothing that you can do about it though. But that's the good news. I mean, the bad mm-hmm. news is that, you know, this is happening to your life and you are a victim. Nobody wants to say, you know, I'm a victim. Nobody wants to do that. But until you recognize that and wake up to that fact, you won't be able to actually make decisions or do anything to um, help yourself, to be your, an advocate for yourself. And you have to be the first advocate for yourself. Nobody else can. We can help, you know, we can help um, children who are victims of abuse. Oftentimes we can get outside help for that. Um, but we can't always we can't always help adults because they have to make their own decisions and 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 so we have to make our own decisions for our own lives and this is also why i really encourage people not to judge the decisions that people make for themselves because they are the ones that know their lives they're the ones that have to live with the repercussions of the choices that they're making and it's not anybody else's right to say what their safest, you know, what choice for them is going to be the safest choice for them. So, um, at any given time. So anyway, I'm, I'm so thankful that you came on here and, um, that you were willing to be vulnerable and share your own story. And I think it's very, very brave. I think what you're doing is brave. And I do believe that as you, continue to extricate yourself from your abusive situation that you things will just get more and more clear like you were saying it's two steps forward one step back but Mm -hmm. it's going to get more and more clear and solidified in your head and then just your testimony is going to be I think even today you're 
your poem was the first step for somebody out there. There's someone out there listening and this poem was just for them. It was written for them so that they could have that light bulb moment. And this is the very beginning of their journey up and out. So if, you, um, if you're listening and this is the first time you've ever heard this podcast, um, welcome. You can read, you can listen to other podcasts as well as read articles on my website, flyingfreenow.com. And um, I think we're going to end it there. Thank you so much for joining us. And Brenna, thank you for being on this episode with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Natalie. Yeah. And the rest of you, fly free. <laughs>